this evening and next Sunday evening, we are going to recommence uh, the series we're in in 1 Thessalonians. It's all the Word of God, and even in uh, this time of national mourning and national uncertainty, uh, there are things, uh, even in uh, Paul's instruction uh, to a church that existed in a place 2,000 years ago that are applicable for us here this evening. Now, I was hoping to start chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians tonight, which is the second half of the letter, but we didn't finish the third chapter. I had four points about Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians at the end of chapter 3, and we only did two of them. So all I want to do tonight is finish the sermon uh, that we were meant to finish uh, last time I was here on a Sunday evening. And it was a heat wave, uh, so two points were enough. Maybe two points uh, won't take that long tonight. Maybe I will say that and we'll still be here in an hour. Uh, but we do have an after-meeting to look forward to as well. So Paul's prayer, right at the end of chapter 3, verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself... And our Lord Jesus Christ, direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you what the two uh, previous points were. I've got to remind myself here. The first was Paul is praying to the Trinity in this prayer. That's something we can learn. Do we pray to the Father? Yes. But we also pray through the Son and in the spirits, And we commune not just with the Father, but with each person of the Trinity. I believe the prayers of the greatest of saints are Trinitarian. That's one lesson. And then the second point was Paul is praying, and this is very relevant, that the Lord would guide him, that the Lord would direct his steps. Isn't that important for us as a church? Isn't that important for us as a nation at this critical juncture? That the Lord will guide the way we are to go, even in the things we are hearing about tonight in the after meeting, that the Lord will guide us to do new things uh, because he is a God who delights uh, to bless and to uh, inspire his people uh, to initiatives. The third thing I want to note about this prayer is that Paul is praying that there will be spiritual growth. Isn't that an important prayer point? Are we praying that we might grow spiritually as individuals and as a church? Have we grown since this time last year? Are we nearer to the Lord spiritually than we were a year ago? Now, what is it to pray for spiritual growth? It doesn't always mean numerical growth. Now, it can mean that, but some of the most spiritual 
of people I've had the privilege of knowing have often uh, been in very small churches. So we mustn't think of spiritual growth in terms of numbers or of success or of health. Now, those things can be there. It's something much deeper than that. It's depth, not breadth, that God is interested in. Um, it was said a uh, generation ago, I don't know if things have changed now, uh, there have been great blessing in the United States, but a generation ago it was said of evangelicalism that it was so wide, but very superficial. We need depth, my brothers and sister. Listen to the apostle here. May the Lord, verse 12, make you increase and abound in love. In love. And he's been doing a very helpful series in the midweek meeting on spiritual gifts. And we have been looking at love as the greatest of all things. It doesn't matter how gifted we are. If we don't have love, the Apostle Paul says, we are nothing. Absolutely nothing. I don't know if you've ever heard of Arthur Pink. Uh, he was a godly man, but he had a very bad experience of church. And so toward the end of his life, he and his wife were the church in the place that they lived on the Isle of Lewis. And he wrote these words. If ever there was a time in the history of Christianity when God's people needed to be entreated to increase and abound in love, it is surely now. He was writing at the start of or the middle of the 20th century. It is at an exceedingly low ebb, this love at the moment. Sectarian bigotry, carnal strife, Roots of bitterness thrive. Many of God's people hold quite a wrong idea as to the nature and fruits of love. Most misconstrue natural affability and temperamental genealogy. Genial genealogy. Thank you, Andy. I don't know what I do without you. <laughs> the love for which the apostle prayed for is holy, spiritual Supernatural love. Let me put that in plain English. There's such a thing as the milk of human kindness. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not this love. Thank God that there are people who are just kind and human. But this love is higher. We are drawn to certain people, aren't we? We may be drawn to those that are similar to us or who hold the same interests as us. Again, there is nothing wrong with friendship groups and liking people. But that's not this love. I think we get into trouble often because we confuse those things with Christian love. What is this love? This is love for one another. Love to one another. The Greek word here is phileo. This is brotherly love. So this love here is only between true believers. 
Now, what is it? Uh, we're a mixed bag here, aren't we? Praise God. I don't want a church that is uh, consisting of clones, where we're all the same. We are different ages. We will probably have different nationalities. We will definitely have different interests. We will all have different likes and dislikes. None of that matters when it comes to filial love. Christian love rises above all those things because this is the love that sees Christ in another person. So Jesus Christ has accepted me. He's accepted you. He's forgiven you. And because of that, there is this solidarity between us then. So it's not a question of whether I like a brother or a sister. It's not a question of whether I'm the same age. It's not a question of whether we're the same nationality. All those things may differ, but there is one thing that brings us together into unity, and that's the fact that we're Christ's. We're Christ's, and if Christ has accepted a brother or a sister, I have no rights not to. That's why when we accept people into membership, I can't shake hands with anybody at the moment <laughs> because of this uh, wrist injury, but it's not just shaking hands we do. It's extending the right hand of fellowship. Very important. There's something else, isn't there, about this brotherly love. It's not just that we've been accepted by a common saviour, but we've been born of the same spirit. And this is something that's like spiritual chemistry. I've been in churches, I've often said this, in other parts of the world where I don't understand the language that is spoken. And yet, there is a spiritual language that binds us together. That's the new nature, this new man, this new woman that is in you. There's a magnetism in it, isn't there? And I found whatever our natural temperance may be like, whatever our own tastes may be, even quibbles, uh, Christians have quibbles, don't they? Whatever those are, there is a magnetism in the love of Christ. So Paul is thinking here of loving one another with this filial love. And so it works out like this. I'm in a church. We would naturally be together like this uh, if it wasn't for the fact that we are born of the Spirit, that we are Christ's. And because of that, we nurture this love. And so we seek to pray for one another. We seek to do good to one another. We seek to speak words of encouragement to one another. It's got nothing to do with being friends. It's got nothing to do with simply liking one another. It's got everything to do with seeing Christ in one another and causing that to increase. But Paul goes on. He doesn't just mention filial love. He mentions something even harder. He says, not just love one another, but love all. Love all. Do we love all people? What does that mean? It means all sorts of people. And we're not thinking here now of making people our projects. We're thinking of loving them. This is agape love. My friends, only someone who has experienced the love of Jesus Christ can actually love anybody else. 
this agape love doesn't ask any questions. This agape love has no limits. This agape love keeps on loving. It's not easy, is it? No wonder Paul prays that the Lord would make them increase in filio and agape love. Pink said, love is at a low ebb. Isn't that true in our country amongst the churches? You get divisions, you even get splits over nothings. And it's because we fail to exercise filial love and agape love. But we should go further and ask, why is our love to one another or to the lost at a low ebb? Is it not because our love to Jesus Christ has cooled down? It's the closer we get to Jesus Christ that we'll get closer to one another. And when we consider our love to Jesus Christ, it's not our love that is the object, but Christ. We love him because, do you know what the verse says? He first loved us. Do you know who wrote those words? He was called one time the son of thunder because his temperament was such that he would lose his temper with his brother James. James and John, Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. But by the time he wrote his letter, he'd been so transformed by the love of Christ. He'd grown spiritually. He says, we love him because he first loved us. Go to the fountainhead. Just drink of the love of Jesus Christ. There's something so simple, isn't there? More about Jesus would we know. What follows? More of his love to others show. If he's forgiven me when I was an enemy, can't I forgive those who hurt me? I can't do it in and of myself, but I'll ask the Savior to help me. No wonder Paul is praying uh, for an abounding in love. Aren't we living in times of uh, polarization? Uh, it's in the States. Uh, politics is uh, divided terribly. And it's in this country as well. And it's so easy, isn't it, for us as Christians to take sides in the culture war but what we should be doing is showing a better way and what a powerful witness this love love to one another people said of the early church see how they love one another may the people of Cardiff say that once more about evangelicals not see how they quarrel but see how they really love one another it's a powerful witness to the world oh I pray that the Lord will cause his love to be poured upon the churches in Cardiff so that there would be something that would show this love of Jesus Christ. I believe that that would be a spiritual revolution. Uh, Don Carson spoke of a Christian couple. They wanted to adopt uh, children and they adopted twins, 18 months old. And... They were only going to adopt them for a short period, uh, be foster parents to them. And 
one of the twins wouldn't cry, wouldn't cry. And they inquired, why was this? It's odd, isn't it, for a baby not to cry? And they were told that in all the other homes they had been, in one of them especially, the twin had been punished for crying. And this twin was scarred. It was scarred. And so what this Christian couple did was love him. They poured their hearts towards him and they loved him so that he became whole again. Brothers and sisters, I don't need to tell you that the world at the moment is broken. Our society is broken. And I hope you don't mind me saying this. The churches are broken. Broken. We're not some super spiritual people here tonight. We've all got our scars. I've got a scar on my thumb. I did it with a penknife when I was a boy. But we've all got other scars. Scars that don't show. Scars that go so deep. And there's only one thing that can heal these scars. And that's the love of Jesus Christ. Didn't we sing? It's one of my favorites lines in a hymn I think about the church isn't this a lovely a lovely sentiment here may this be Heath Church 2022 here the sick be healed and the lost restored here the brokenhearted thy forgiveness prove here the friends long parted I don't need to go into detail there do I be restored to love. If we pray that the Lord would cause us to grow, not numerically, but that the Lord would cause us to abound in love to one another and to all, wouldn't that be wonderful if he answered that prayer? And then one last point, and then I'll be done. Uh, Paul also prays for what? the strengthening of the hearts so that he may establish, verse 13, your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Oh my, don't we need our hearts to be strengthened at this time? We've lost a queen who was a great example in her constancy. I can't remember any other sovereign She's been a bedrock to our country and now she's gone and we're facing the future with fear and uncertainty and we need something to stabilize us. Paul's prayer here is that our hearts can be established. Now let's think of this love again uh, when we're thinking of strength. Strength and love go together, you know, in the Bible we tend to think of love as something soft, don't we? I think of the Beatles song, All You Need Is Love. I think what they meant there was romantic love uh, and even a love that is lustful. Now, that's not the love that we have been considering tonight. This love is as strong as death. This love, agape love, took Jesus Christ to the cross and died for us. 
And so love and strength go together. This love is holy love. Look at the way Paul puts it, that he may strengthen your heart, blameless in holiness, before our God and Father at the coming of Jesus Christ. Look at what needs to be strengthened. It's the heart that needs to be strengthened. When the Bible uses the word heart, it doesn't mean the organ that pumps blood around the body. It doesn't mean the emotions. It means the center of our personality. Now, there's a lot of head religion, isn't there? Maybe you're a head kind of person. Uh, people who know all their theology. And that really is what gets them going. Uh, reading about some ism in theology. That's head. Head. Now, there may be others here who are hands. You are all into hands work. Let's be practical. Let's not talk about theology. That doesn't help anybody. Let's just do something. Now notice, there's nothing wrong with the mind. There's nothing wrong with the hands and being active. But if it doesn't come from the heart, it's useless. It's our heart that needs strengthening. And when the heart is right then our thoughts are right and our actions are right as well. There is something natural, isn't there, about uh, heart religion, not head religion, not hands religion, but give me heart religion. If I've got heart religion, then even if I'm mixed up on some theological points, I know eventually I will come through. If I've got heart religion, even if I might be neglecting certain practical areas, eventually that will be sorted. My son, my daughter, says God, give me not your head. Don't give me your hands. Give me your heart. That's what God is looking for. Are we giving our hearts to God? Again, isn't that why the church in our land is in such a state we've neglected the hearts we've got to keep watch over our hearts from it come the issues of life what's the key here he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. The second, the second coming. We don't hear much about the second coming, do we? Do you, do you notice how Paul ends each chapter in Thessalonians? Go to chapter 1, the last verse. How does it say? And to wait for his son from heaven. The second coming. How does chapter 2 end? What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? And how does chapter 3 end? So that he may establish your heart blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. The poor believers in Thessalonica, they were young Christians and some of them were confused about those that had died amongst them. They thought that because they died before Jesus had returned, that there was no hope for them. So Paul, very wisely, as a good teacher and encourager, says here, Lord, Jesus is going to come back with all his saints. And this, my friends, 
is what really establishes our hearts. Do you want something constant to be looking towards? Our queen is gone. After a long reign, she had to die eventually. Prince Charles will one day die. Prince William will one day die. So there is change and decay in all around. But King Jesus is the same. Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. And King Jesus is going to return one day. And isn't that something to anchor our hearts? Do, do, do you feel shaky at these times? I do. Even looking back at the Queen's reign, the amount of change that we've been through. I can't keep up with all the change. Can you? You, you, You've got to buy new smart television sets. Because the old smart television isn't compatible to some apps. That's how fast things are changing. It makes you feel as if you've lost your moorings. Where's the anchor? Where's the anchor of our souls? Is it in the boat, in our little vessel? Then we are going to remain uncertain and afraid, aren't we? Is it in the changing things of life, even the changing standards of society? Things were different when the queen got to the throne to what they are today in terms of morality. You can't anchor your stability on that. The only place for the anchor to be is beyond the veil, in eternity, in Christ. What is it to establish our hearts? What is it to keep a watch of our hearts? What is it that keeps our hearts stable? Holiness. What is holiness? It's got nothing to do with the standards of the world. It's got nothing to do with comparing ourselves to one another, even as Christians. It's got everything to do to what we are like before God. It's holiness unto the Lord. And all that matters is that I'm pleasing Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter whether we are in the 50s. I wasn't alive in the 50s, were some of you? There was more respectability, I was told. There was definitely more outward morality. I don't want this to be taken the wrong way. We're living today in an amoral time when everything is topsy-turvy. But does it matter? Because Jesus Christ is the same. And what pleased him in the 50s is the same as what pleases him today. So I'm not governed by whatever the standards of society are. I'm not governed by the standards of Victorian society. I'm not governed by the standards of Edwardian society. I'm not governed by the standards of Elizabethan society. I'm not governed by the standards of Chow-ian society. I and you are to be governed by the standards of the word. Pleasing Jesus Christ. Well, let's get out of this unhealthy preoccupation of looking over our shoulders.
thinking, what is so-and-so going to think? And let us ask, what is he, what is he going to think? Are we living before Jesus Christ? Are you looking forward to his coming again? That's what establishes the hearts. It's like a child, isn't it? Looking forward to Christmas. Stabilizes the child. I read of one person being interviewed uh, who was going to meet the Queen. And this person was a girl when the Queen was going uh, to come and visit her. And she was being prepared for this royal visit and she was told, you know, the Queen is this uh, royal person and you've got to treat her with uh, reverence and all of that. And then this girl, the first time she met the Queen, she just asked the Queen, why haven't you got a crown? Why haven't you got a crown? If we have an important visitor, we look forward to it. We make sure that everything is ready. It stabilizes us, doesn't it? What about Jesus Christ coming? Are we living in the light of that one event? I don't know what's going to happen in the next few weeks, months, years. We didn't think the Queen would die this time last week. I only know of two things that are going to happen. Death, not taxes. But Jesus is going to come back. Jesus is going to come back. And living blameless in holiness before him, strengthening the heart. The word for blameless here is the same word that Paul uses to describe his outward conduct as a Pharisee, that he was blameless in terms of keeping to human rules. Now, this is not what God is interested in. You can have all the religious and the moral rules that you like, but they will be excrement if you haven't got the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's blameless of heart, and that is not sinless perfection. None of us are going to be perfect. The queen wasn't perfect. We're all sinners in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. But when we are born of the Spirit, when the love of Jesus Christ takes root in us, we have a new heart, don't we? And there's a reality there then. There's a new life there then. There's a pull there then. Don't you feel uh, the tension as a Christian? As you get older, it doesn't lessen. It gets worse. There is the pull, isn't there, of the world and the flesh and the devil on the one hand, and it can be so strong. But there is this other pull, and it's much stronger. I nearly got trapped on a beach during my holidays with the tide coming in. I had no hope. No hope of withstanding the force of the tide. Praise God that greater is he that is in us, Jesus by his Spirit, than he that is in the world. Students, it doesn't matter what you're facing. You've got the resources in Jesus Christ to empower you. 
well, let, let, let's pray that our hearts will be established. Again, I'm quoting uh, Paul uh, writing to the Philippians. This is the witness, isn't it? To be blameless, not perfect, not twee. Oh, may God deliver us from evangelical tweeness. May we be real, may we be real. <laughs> to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Uh, when the First World War started, somebody of importance said, the lights are going out. The lights are going out. And maybe you feel like that at this moment. The lights are going out, but there's one light that isn't going out. I am the light of the world. Ye are the light of the world. And as we get closer to Jesus Christ, we shine for him. I know we don't sing shine, Jesus, shine, but there's an element of truth in it. It doesn't mean sinless perfection, but it means this love and holiness of Jesus Christ just coming through us because it's our hearts that have been touched first. It's reality, isn't it? Reality. As he who has called you is holy, so you be holy in all your conduct. Can I finish? Is the Queen's funeral going to be in Westminster Abbey? I think it's going to be in Westminster Abbey, is it? Have I got that right? Let's say it's in Westminster Abbey. There was a preacher who uh, happened to be preaching in Westminster Abbey called Eric Alexander. Some of you may have heard him preach, a very powerful preacher. And he said in the middle of his sermon that the last time he was in Westminster Abbey, the scaffolding was up because they were doing some reconstruction work. And he went on to talk about the Abbey's beauty uh, being veiled by this scaffolding. And all the while, people could just see the ugly scaffolding. But without them realizing it, the restoration work was going on. And one day, the scaffolding was removed and the abbey was seen in an even greater beauty and glory. And Eric Alexander, and I'll finish with this, went on to say, there will come a day when God will pull down the scaffolding of world history. Do you know what he will be pointing to when he says to the whole creation, there is my masterpiece? He will be pointing to the church of Jesus Christ. In the forefront of it all will be the Lord Jesus himself who will come and say, here am I and the children you have given me, perfected in the beauty of holiness. That's the day we are working towards. In that day, we shall be resurrected. We need to live for that day, the day when God will manifest his glory in his people. If we live for that day, it will change our living and it will change our serving. Grant, O Lord, that we will all say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. The Queen, we are so grateful for her is past. We have a new king. He will one day die. But there is another king. There is another throne. And that is remaining. And he, King Jesus, 
is going to come back. And may we be found ready. And may we abound, grow in love. And may our hearts be strengthened so that we are living in the light of that day. Let me finish there. Uh, I was only trying to fin uh, finish the sermon from last time. We'll sing together. Love divine, all loves excelling and it ends. Think of the scaffolding. Finish then thy new creation. Pure and spotless may we be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Changed, we're being changed from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place till we cast our crowns before thee lost in wonder, love and praise. What will that be like? Uh, so let's sing this grand hymn to finish.
Father, we praise Thee for that one certainty that He is coming back. And we praise Thee that He's our Saviour, our beloved. And we praise Thee that one day we'll be married uh, in that marriage in heaven. Help us, O Lord, to live in the light of that day, to seek to please Christ. Keep us from faffing around, as it were, and just help us uh, to just live uh, life in its fullness. And now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Saviour, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.